I do have a little bit of a confession to make, um, being the sex lady. I have obviously had sex because I am married and I have a child. And I also happen to be eight weeks pregnant. Thank you. So that's my qualification. But also the confession is that there is some serious morning sickness going on. Uh, so if y'all could just be praying. And if I run off stage for a brief second, don't worry about it. They'll mute the mic. You won't hear anything. It'll be wonderful. Okay, so um, I'm really excited about tonight, and I'm very, just, I want to say props to you for showing up, because I know it's not easy to come out on a weeknight, and I also know this is not a topic that everyone is just pumped to um, go hear about, but I'm hoping that tonight will be fun, and that you leave tonight actually empowered and excited to go have these conversations with your kids. High schoolers, I know you're in here. Um, just an FYI, I will be speaking to your parents, so that means sometimes I'm going to talk about you, and you can just tell your parents whether or not I'm right or wrong and if you agree or disagree, all right? Deal? It won't be like this morning. Just, I need the enthusiasm because your parents are a little terrified right now. All right, so also breathe easy. There's no awkward pictures. <sighs> okay, good. You're not gonna have to have that conversation. You're welcome. You can Google that together as a family. It'll be wonderful. Now, how many of you, your parents gave you the sex talk? How many of you, it was the equivalent of this? Yeah. See, when your parents were handing out the sex talk and all that sex advice, the reality is the landscape was a little bit different. There were only two known sexually transmitted diseases at that time, um, syphilis and gonorrhea. Currently, we're looking at about 27 that someone can get just through sexual intercourse, through skin-to-skin -skin contact, through anal sex, um, or through oral sex. So... Obviously, the risk is a little bit bigger, yes? And also at the time, if you had questions, what did you guys do? Did you ask your parents? No, who did you talk to? Friends. Nowadays, if you have questions, so reliable, right? My, my husband today, in fact, I told him I was having this nausea, and I said, maybe it's a boy. He's like, well, I looked it up on Google, which is the truth of everything, and it says that it could be 50-50. I was like, Google is not the truth of everything. But we look it up and we assume that, oh, obviously, whatever I'm reading, whatever the top hit is, is correct. And the problem can become, as you well know, there are certain things that if you Google them, especially as it relates to this topic, the information that you're going to get is not only possibly not true, but it's not healthy, right? The rabbit hole shows up pretty quickly in terms of taking you down the road of pornography, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But the, that's just where your kids are at these days. And if you're not engaging with them and they have questions, they're going to go Google it or possibly ask their friends. Now, you probably wish that this was your audience. Remember when that was the case? My daughter's one and a half, and... I just love it. I love that she's just sweet and innocent. But the reality is that's your audience. Exciting, right? You're like pumped to have a conversation with the girl in the middle. <laughs> she really looks receptive and like she really just wants to hear what you have to say. And she can't wait to have a really heart-to-heart, -heart, honest conversation about sexuality. No. So how many of you, looking at this and just knowing what you know about teenagers today, think that today's teens are more promiscuous than teens were when you were growing up? Okay, so then you might be surprised to find out actually that 61% of teenagers say they want to be virgins when they get married. I think that's a pretty good stat, exactly. Now the sad reality is of young people who identify as Christian evangelicals, between the ages of 18 to 29, 90% of them will have had sex. 42% of them are currently in a sexual relationship. And so what I see this as is a disconnect between a generation that wants to wait until marriage but does not actually know how to wait until marriage. 
They don't have the tools to be able to do that. They don't have the support to be able to do that. And they're growing up in a culture that is obviously telling them that that's ridiculous. And if they're growing up in the church, at best, they're getting a sex talk now and again. Not many churches put on events like this. This is a surprisingly rare thing and something for which you should applaud your church. They are trying to get you as parents on board because they know that you are critical to our kids not just having this desire, but actually being able to see this desire realized, right? Now, why is it that parents don't often have these conversations or they don't have them as much as they would like to? I think sometimes it's because um, we lack confidence. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is you actually are the most important influence in your kids' lives. Between young adolescents, age 12 to 14, 53% say that mom and dad are the greatest influence when it comes to their decisions about sex and relationships, friends are only at 24%. Now, when kids get a little older, you're thinking, oh, great, it's going to drop off to like 10%. No, even older adolescents, it only drops to about 45%. Say mom and dad are still the greatest influence, and 31% of friends are the greatest influence. But when you asked parents that question, 48% of parents said, oh, I think friends are the greatest influence. So somewhere we've lost confidence in our ability to be the voice in our kids' lives. And I get it. I mean, your kids are inundated from the moment they wake up till the moment they go to bed, right? Their friends, their teachers, the internet. I mean, everyone's got a smartphone now. You've got Facebook. You've got Instagram. You've got YouTube. You've got magazines. You've got music. And all of those voices, 90% of them are probably saying something different than what you are saying. But the reality is, and kids are telling us this time and again, these are national studies that are done, you matter. Your voice matters. And they are listening. Nine out of ten teenagers say that they would have an easier time postponing pregnancy, post, or excuse me, postponing sexual activity if they could have open conversations with their parents about teen pregnancy, about sex, about relationships. And yet one out of four kids has not had a conversation with their parents about sex. They need you, and they are desperate for you to talk to them. So I hope tonight you get fired up, that you realize that the force is with you. I mean, we know that the, the force of God is with us also. I mean, anytime you go into a conversation, you, it's okay not to know what you're going to say. I stand up here and just pray. I'm not going to throw up all over you. But I know that God's going to equip me with what I need in this moment. And God's going to equip you with what you need. And God has given you a very unique opportunity to speak into your child's life. Because, look, I love teenagers. And I loved getting to speak to the teens this morning. That is my favorite thing that I do. But I know that I will never have the same impact that you will have doesn't matter that I come from Los Angeles. It doesn't matter that I might be a few years younger than you. Your voice is still more important than mine. And that is a privilege that you need to fight for. And that is a responsibility that you have. Because if you don't speak into your child's life, I guarantee somebody else will. But I don't know that they will love your child and care enough about them like, like you will. And they won't fight for your child the way you will. But I think a lot of times we don't want to have this conversation because it's uncomfortable. I mean, how many of you just are like, yeah, I can't wait to go home with my teen, sit him down, and be like, let's chat about oral sex. I think that's a good starting point. <laughs> Do you know what oral sex is? Or you could really shock him and be like, hey, so I heard about blowjobs tonight. What do you think about that? <laughs> I guarantee that will stun the room, right? It's uncomfortable. It, 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 it's uncomfortable for both parties. But I think part of why it's uncomfortable for us as parents is a number of reasons. One, our own past. Okay? I know that people in this room, you have a past, some of you, that you don't want your child to copy. 
You don't want them to make the same decisions you made, but you think that that disqualifies you. It does not. Just because you may have made choices that you say, gosh, I would never want my child to make that, doesn't mean that you don't get to talk about your past. Maybe you don't have to give details. Like, no one wants to know how many people or what you did. No one. Myself included, okay? And I talk about this on a regular basis. But you have an opportunity to say, look, I made these decisions, and I don't want you to have to walk down that same road. Yes, you look at me and you think mom and dad are fine. We are okay now, but we have had to do some hard work. God has had to take us through the paces. And if it's possible for you to avoid that, then I want to share this with you. So your past does not disqualify you to speak. In fact, I would say it qualifies you, absolutely. If you're a parent, you've obviously had sex, so you are qualified to talk about this. <laughs> Done, okay? You've had it once, right? Your kids think you've had it one to four times, so <laughs> clearly. That was an eye-opener for me. I was about 12, <laughs> and we were going through a book, and my dad you know, was trying to gently explain it, and I looked at him horrified, and I was like, you mean you and mom have done this four times? <laughs> And here I am talking about sex. So see, if I can make a change, you can too, all right? So I think our past disqualifies us. I think we often don't feel like we know enough. How many of you feel like you would be ready to answer any question that your kids would come up with when it comes to sex? Yeah, guess what? Me neither. You know what you can say, though, when you don't know? I don't know. Because most of the time, your teenagers know that you don't know. Yes, teens? You know, you have a BS reader like nobody's business, okay? So if mom and dad try to pretend you're like, mm-mm, Google says, and you're wrong, all right? So instead of trying to fake that you know, just, wow, that could have sounded really wrong. We don't fake it in other areas, okay? So we're not going to fake it when it comes to telling our kids what's right or what's wrong and what we know or don't know. Use it as an opportunity to sit down with your kids and be like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. That's a really good question. Let's Google it together. Let me teach you how to recognize good sources. Right? Take the fact that you don't know everything as an opportunity to have a further conversation with your child. Not knowing everything does not, again, disqualify you. Yes, I might read a little bit more about this than maybe you have time to do, but that's also why there are people like me available to tell you, don't read these books, that's a waste of your time, read these books. Don't look at these websites, check out these websites. Right? Utilize the resources around you, utilize your youth pastor, your teachers that you trust, other youth leaders to say, how are you answering these questions? What resources are you finding that are helpful? Don't let your lack of knowledge keep you from engaging this conversation, but also don't then figure out how to learn and figure out what is it that I don't know that I need to know so that I can talk about this more confidently. I also think sometimes we don't believe it's possible. We don't believe that asking our kids to wait until marriage is actually possible. And that to me is a sad one. Because if we don't believe it's possible for our kids, then how can we expect our kids to actually then go believe it for themselves? It is possible. Is it difficult? Yes. Has it ever been more difficult? I don't know. I mean, have, has the sexual desire been like not as strong 20 years ago and it's more strong now? No. I think the sex drive has always been strong and it's always been intense. The fact that it's prevalent in culture and it's all around us makes it more difficult in some ways, but also I think makes it easier in other ways because you can have open conversations in ways that you might not have been able to have with your parents. But you have to first believe that it is possible for your kids or if they've had sex before that it is possible for them to choose to stop and begin waiting. I didn't have sex until I got married and I was 25. It was difficult, but it's possible. And we have to begin to expect more for our kids so that we can begin to then speak that truth into their lives. Because again, no one else is going to expect this for them.
But I can tell you hands down, I do not regret the men I did not sleep with. And I would wish that for everyone, that there would be that freedom. I have other things that I have to work through, but I don't regret that. And that's what we need to tell our young people to say, the culture and the world may tell you one thing, but I desire better for you. And we're going to talk more about that tonight, what that looks like. But to begin to believe that ourselves so that we can then actually speak that into our kids' lives and over our kids' lives. So that being said, we're going to jump in on why is it that you have to talk? What is it that you're going to talk about and how you're going to talk about that? For those of you who are note takers, um, I'm also a pastor's kid, so I'm all about like, here's three bullet points and it's going to be, so that's the roadmap for tonight. But why is it that we have to be talking about this? Because no one else is talking about it in the way that you as a mom and dad are going to talk about it. And because today's teenagers are growing up in a culture where they think sex has no risks. Yes? How many of you have seen this chart before? I love this chart. This chart is what I call the sexual exposure chart. So the idea behind this chart is that if you have the same number of partners as the person you're with, this is roughly how many people you expect to be exposed to. So if I have had one person that I'm with and he's, I'm, we're each other's first person, then we're exposed to one. Now let's pretend that I have had five and they've had five. And those five don't have to just be vaginal intercourse. They could also be, we got naked, you know, a freshman year, homecoming, clothes came off. And then sophomore year, I gave a guy oral sex. And then I ended up having sex with my first boyfriend junior year. And then we broke up. And so I got back at him with his best friend, whatever it is. And let's say my fifth person, and again, I haven't had five partners. So don't walk out of here and be like, she has been exposed to 31 different people. Hmm. But if I've been with five people and he's been with five people, it's not just the five, it's 31 different people that I am exposed to because you're exposed to every person that your partner has ever been with. No one ever tells you that. It can get very crowded in the bedroom very quickly. I mean, look at that, seven, boom, you're at over 100. I had a roommate in college. She ended up getting married and the guy she married was guy number 20. I don't know what her number is. I haven't done the math but it's off the chart, literally, right? And not only is there physical risk involved, there's emotional risk. And we have to be talking to, and again, not from a position of fear. My big thing is I don't think it works to try to scare our kids out of sex. Like no one on a Friday night is like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get syphilis, I shouldn't do this. No, I don't think that has ever stopped anyone being like, you look really cute, but you might have herpes, so I'm gonna wait. No one thinks like that. I'm sorry. So just throwing up pictures and being like, you're going to be a statistic. Everyone's like, okay, but I'm not. Everyone else is. But I'm not. Remember when you were a teenager, you're invincible. I still think I'm invincible. And then I get morning sickness and I realize I'm not, okay? But the reality is, is, is we're not invincible. And so there is an aspect of this. It's not about fear, but it's just about presenting the truth of saying there is a very real possibility that if you choose to engage in certain behavior, there are certain consequences that come from that. For instance, with sexually transmitted diseases, 19 million people this year will get one in the United States. I try to do the math on what that looks like in comparison to the state of Texas. That is your five biggest cities, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and Fort Worth, tripled. I mean, Texas has like 26 million people in the state, but that's your five biggest cities times three every year getting a new STD, meaning they've either never, never had one or they're getting their second, fourth, tenth one. Of those 19 million, half of them are between the ages of 15 to 25. So if you have a teenager or college student in your home, they are more at risk right now than they will ever be if they choose to be sexually active. 
like I said, there's 27. Some of them we can cure, some of them we cannot. Like genital herpes, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It will be there for the rest of their lives. And no one talks about that until they've already gotten one. Right? And so we have to be talking to our kids so that they don't become one of those statistics. But we also get to talk about these statistics. There's also teen pregnancy. Every year, 750,000 teenagers will get pregnant. All of them girls. <laughs> it's a miracle. Right? But each of those girls got pregnant by a guy. I don't care what people want to tell you about what marriage can be defined as, what sexuality is. It still requires one sperm and one egg from one man and one woman in order for you to get pregnant. 750,000 teen. We lead the world on teen pregnancy rates. And I know Texas gets a bad rap sometimes for your sex education. I read about it in the news and for your teen pregnancy rates. But I don't think the answer is more people coming into schools to give more education and hand out more condoms. I think the answer is empowering you as parents to be able to do the job that you are already equipped to do. And that is to talk to your teenagers. That is to walk alongside them. And some of your teens are going to make mistakes. It happens. We all have and we continue to make mistakes. And these choices are not life-ending. Just because they do become a statistic does not mean that the rest of their future is ruined. But if the work can be done now to potentially help them deal with situations in a better way, then why not? And the fact that you're sitting in this room tells me that you care. Tells me that you want to be able to do that. Now, when it comes to sex and how we talk about it, the schools and a lot of the government policies have one approach, which is risk reduction. But then there's the risk avoidance. Now, what that looks like is risk reduction is how do we help our kids reduce their, way, reduce their risk, but we can't completely get rid of it. So that, for instance, would be condoms, right? So your risk is reduced, absolutely, but you don't get rid of it. Now, the other option is risk avoidance, where we teach our kids, how do you completely avoid the risk? Now, I don't have anything against condoms, to be honest. I, I do think that if you are sexually active and that's your choice and there's a way to reduce your risk, okay. But I think we miss something when we think, well, condoms are going to be the answer. Because condoms only, and I told the kids this this morning, condoms, when used every time correctly, which sometimes is a big, a big ask, even for adults, right? Every time correctly, they only protect about 50%. And that's because there's an exposed area. I mean, does the condom cover everything? Gentlemen, they have not invented latex boxer briefs. So until they do, there's still, you know, things that are not covered by the latex. And therefore, you're exposed. But no one's telling our teens that. We just tell them, hey, put a condom on, take a pill, and you're fine. If we could just give kids more condoms, more access to contraception, then, then all of these statistics would go down. And the reality is, is over the years, as we've increased access to contraception, we've increased access to information, guess what also keeps increasing? All of those STD rates. The teen pregnancy rates have finally started to go down. And there's obviously, you know, people promoting abstinence are like, it's us. People promoting condoms are like, it's us. I don't really care who it is. The fact that they're going down is great. But I don't see a direct connection between handing out condoms and kids understanding how to make better choices. I think we can give them more than that. Because even if we came up with a condom that was 100% effective, to me that's not good enough. Because what that does is it tells a person, you are only the sum of your body parts. And for all of you in this room who are parents and who have had sex, you know sex is more than just your body, right? Sex is about the whole person, the brain. 
Now, this is something that I think is so cool. I told the kids this this morning, and I would encourage you to talk to your teens about this. Because, you know, I think it's important for you to talk about condoms with your children. I think it's important for you to tell them what your values are when it comes to condoms. You can tell them, I don't agree with it. I think it's fine. Whatever. That's your place. I don't think we need to be afraid that if we talk about condoms, our kids are going to run out and go buy them. I think we get to be the ones to say, you know what? It's only 50% effective. I think you deserve 100% protection. I wouldn't give you the keys to my car if it only worked 50% of the time. So why would you trust yourself with a piece of latex for 50% of the time? I want more for you. And again, no one else is going to say that. Right? So don't be afraid to talk about the things that culture is talking about, but help them see it through your eyes and with your values. But again, as I told the kids this morning, there is no condom for your heart. See, the brain releases certain chemicals when we are sexually active that cause us to bond to another person. It's cool. I mean, really, when you think about how God has wired us, there's a reason those of you who are married should go home and have sex tonight. Sorry, kids, I just told your parents to have sex. Don't think about it, okay? (laughs) Because you're meant to want more of them. See, when we release these chemicals, gentlemen, you release vasopressin and oxytocin. Ladies, we release just oxytocin. And we release oxytocin, ladies, when we give birth, which is good so we don't kick our kids to the curb after what they just put us through. Uh, when we breastfeed, but then also where we have it in common with the men is when we engage in meaningful and intimate touch and sexual intercourse, specifically orgasm. And what happens is your brain releases these chemicals which actually burn little neurological pathways to connect you to another individual. Good thing, yes? Especially during sexual intercourse, your brain is flooded with five times the amount it normally does, it normally receives, so that it literally is like burned in there. So if you're married, that's important that you continue to have sex with your spouse so that you trust them more, you want more of them, it grows. If you're 17, is that necessarily a good thing? Suddenly you're getting attached, you trust, you want more of this person that cannot give you a commitment, right? That's not in a place in their life to be able to handle that sort of relationship. I think I I read somebody once said it that sex is giving a commitment with your body that the rest of you cannot keep. And it's true if, if it's sex outside of marriage. And so we need to help our young people understand sex isn't just emotional. And I'm all about people enjoying great sex. I want our teenagers to enjoy great sex in their best context. And that requires that not just their body is turned on, but their mind and their heart are free to be turned on. And that's going to be in a context that God says this is the safest, greatest context, that you can enjoy it without fear, marriage. And we need to be talking to our young people about how sex is more than just the body. I find sometimes when I talk with parents, especially this one mom, I remember she has a son and she has a daughter, and she goes, man, I hope my daughter waits, but my son, I'm okay if he doesn't. Ah! And sometimes we have this double standard as though, like, well, we got to protect our daughters. Not, it's just not their virginity that we're protecting, but, but it's this purity and this innocence and their emotions, but our guys, they'll be fine. Not fair. We can do better for our young men because they have this as well. And we have a responsibility to help our young men know how to navigate their sexuality. And so when we talk about sex and we have this desire to, not desire, excuse me, when we talk about sex and we feel compelled to talk about sex, include the brain. I mean, think about what a cool way to talk about with your kids. You're like, hey, son, I'd like to talk to you about this head, not the other one. So let's see how that's engaged in sex. And they just won't even know what to do with that. And it'll be great. You're welcome. All right, so what else should we talk about when it comes to sex? Technology. How many of you could list what even three of those are? Good. Some of you are even over the age of 25. Well done. 
Okay, social media especially. Now, when it comes to social media, a lot of times we think, um, you know, it's fine as long as I'm their friend. Do you think everybody knows how to navigate social media really well, especially teenagers? Do you think teenagers? I don't think teenagers know how to navigate social media well. No offense. Especially the younger teens. Um, we're seeing more and more teenagers getting on social media at like 14, 13, right? Social media, especially Facebook, Instagram, is it always true to life? No, no one, you don't ever get on. No one's posting pictures like, this is my messy house, this is my burnt dinner, and here's the fight I had with my husband. No, they're like, look at me in Cabo. Look at this latte I got. You're like, that's the seventh latte you've had this week. How do you even have that much money for lattes, okay? Or look at my house, I'm like, you pulled that off Pinterest. That's not even your picture, liar, okay? But if you are not aware of like, hey, social media is everyone trying, it's like dating, only worse because everyone's just trying to put their best foot forward all the time. And then there are the occasional people that are like, oh, my life is terrible. Pray for me. And you're like, that's all you post. Now I can't even handle this, okay? <laughs> but we, we know this. We know that you don't look at social media and go, gosh, that must be true to who that person is. I mean, he said he was only 23 and he's posted all these pictures of girls, so he must be really safe. It's okay for me to go meet him. No. There are reports, you know, every few months of some teenager who went and met someone that they had connected with on Facebook only to wind up dead because the person was not who they said they were, right? And, and we know that, but, and I love this about teenagers, they're very trusting, right? They want to believe the best in you. They're going to, at face value, accept you for who you are, which is good because when I go in to talk to teenagers, I've got about seven seconds for them to like me, to then listen for the next 42 minutes. But also, that can be detrimental, you may have heard with teenagers, our brains are not done forming until we're about 25. So if you ever look at your kid and you're like, are you brain damaged? Yeah, they probably are. A little bit. Okay? And what that means is that the frontal cortex has not finished connecting, so they don't necessarily have the brain capacity. You cannot use this as a cop-out, guys, teens over here. The brain capacity to see that if I make this decision, this is the consequence. Things that are instinctive to us as adults the reason you don't get to stop parenting at 15 is because your kids are still growing. They still need you to help them see. If you post this picture of you in a bathing suit, kind of, here's how you might get, like, here are the responses you might get. There's a reason creepy men will start tagging you, okay? If you send this text or if you send this photo, it's possible that someone else could send that out. No, they would never do that. What happens when you break up? Right? These are things that to us seem obvious, but we have to help our teenagers know how to navigate this. It's not possible to avoid social media. It's just not. It's going to be there. My child is one and a half, and she knows how to get on the phone, find the apps she likes, and it's terrifying to me. Terrifying. And she even knows. No phone, no phone. I'm like, yes, no phone. Okay? It's going to be there for the rest of our lives. And so you need to figure out how to learn to work with that. That may mean you get to sit down with your kids and be like, show me Twitter. I want to learn how to tweet. They're going to they're gonna be terrified, okay? They're like, I want to start Instagramming my life. Here's my dirty laundry, literally, okay? Here, you know, if you have a younger teenager, I would recommend if they are on Facebook or they're on some of these social media accounts that you know their password. And if they ever lock you out, pretty sure that means that social media account is done, right? You need to be involved. There's no reason a 14-year-old should be on Facebook without any parameters, none. What are they sharing? Their lunch? Like, what are they doing in life? No offense, not that exciting. Not that exciting at 29. What am I doing that really needs to be posted for the world? Probably nothing, okay? 
Another thing is film and television. Now, my husband's a director, and I love it. I love the film industry. And I am learning that film people and the film industry in general, they're not actually hostile towards Christians. There are some. They just don't understand us, to be honest. They, they will make whatever makes money. So if they're like, hey, if I can make a movie about this and it makes money, cool. So when a movie doesn't do well, and then they think, oh, there's not an audience. But they're not trying to undermine you as parents. They're just trying to sell. Now, there are some, I will say, in the industry who do have an agenda, and they use certain TV shows, and you've seen it, that just slowly push it a little bit further and a little bit further, right? When Will and Grace first came on, it was radical to have an openly homosexual man on TV. Now, that's the norm. And you also now have a generation of kids that can't understand what's the difference between same-sex marriage and marriage between one man and a woman. And I don't think it's an accident that that probably started with television. Because if you can get people to laugh, they will accept the, whatever it is your ideology is much more easily. So, yes, you're up against Hollywood. You're up against millions of dollars. But you have the advantage of, one, the off button. But also, being able to engage with your kids and talk about what it is that they're seeing. Right? Again, we no longer have the luxury to just sort of let our kids do their thing and then we'll re-engage with them when we're ready. You need to be a part of it. Know what TV shows your kids are watching. You don't necessarily have to sit and watch, but you should know what they're watching. You should be talking about that with them. And you should be constantly counteracting the messages that they are getting from the media. Cell phones. How many of your kids have a cell phone? Great. Good. I don't, think, I don't see anything wrong with cell phones. I mean, my kid will probably be five and have the iPhone 6. I don't know. I'm terrified. But <coughs> a lot of times with cell phones, we get this idea that teens go crazy with sexting. How many of you are terrified that your teenagers have sexted? Meaning they've sent naked photographs, sexually explicit. Good news, only about 1% of teenagers have sent sexually explicit images. When we broaden that to include bathing suit style, it was like 2.5%. 48% of teenagers have received <coughs> excuse me, sexually explicit text messages. So not as many teens as we think are sending naked photographs, which is good. I mean, that's, that's good news because a lot of times it comes out like 97% of teens have sent a naked photograph and you start scrolling through your kid's phone looking for that shot. It's like, what is wrong with you, okay? But 48% of teenagers have received some sort of sexually explicit message on their cell phones. Your parameters with your kids on cell phones is up to you. Um, I, I'm a strong believer as long as the child is in your home, you're the parent. So if that means you want to have a conversation, say, I just would like to be able to just know what friends are. Can you just tell me a little bit? Like, I, I, use me as an excuse. Be like, this crazy lady came, and she told me about sexually explicit text messages. And I just wonder, have you ever received one of those? Like, how did you handle it? What did you do with that? And your kid's going to look at you like, I, mm-hmm, what? It might get real awkward if they throw it back at you and go, well, what do you find is sexually explicit? And then you have to say, but I leave that to you, Okay. So it's teaching, again, you're not going to get away from the fact that teenagers are going to have cell phones. You're not going to be able to monitor everything that they do on it or do with it. So you need to teach them how to use it well to help our teenagers understand that the things you send out with your cell phone, the minute you send that to someone else, you have lost control of that image or that text message or that email. It is no longer yours, and they are now free to do with it whatever they like. And as long as that person likes you, it's fine. But if that person doesn't like you anymore... Not so fine. 
And we've also read about that in the news where people will end up sending a picture or posting it. And what ends up happening sometimes is the person who sent that photograph or forwarded that photograph gets charged with possession or um, dissemination of child pornography. They have to register as sex. I mean, they're not thinking in the moment, how is this going to ruin the rest of my life? They're just thinking, I'm going to get back at you. But it's helping our young people know how to navigate this new landscape. And I know for some of you, it's terrifying. It's daunting. It's overwhelming. And you're just like, I don't even want to have to deal with this. But, but you have to. Even if that means sitting down with your teen to say, can you please explain my iPhone to me so I can understand how to make this thing work? That's okay. It's a great opportunity. Your kid will get a kick out of it. They'll probably tweet about it. But, you know, that's okay. But helping our teenagers know how to use this. And then finally, there's porn which is accessible on probably all these platforms. And this one you absolutely have to talk about. And it's in my book, titled, I think, Pornography. Yes, it's a, you have to talk about it. No, it's not a choice. And I know this is not a fun one for us to discuss. And it's uncomfortable um, being pregnant. I told my husband, I was like, so what do you think if we have a boy? And I finally got it out of him. He's terrified. Like, I don't, I don't know if I could have a boy because I know what boys have gone through and I know what boys face and I don't know if I can talk about masturbation and pornography. And I was like, oh, that's true. But it's not just a boy problem. It's a female problem as well. We estimate that 30% of people looking at pornography are women, 70% are men. Of 18 to 19 year olds, or 18 to 29 year olds, excuse me, no, excuse me, 8 to 19 year olds, 90% of them have looked at porn. See, the average age that a young man first looks at porn is 8 years old, between 8 and 11. Terrifying. If you have a son, chances are good that he has seen porn at least once. And not, not, not that he's seeking it out or, or that he has an addiction, but there, it's everywhere. It used to be you had to go into a store, you had to like get in your car, you had to show some ID. Nowadays, you turn on your computer, you can get it in your iPhone. It's not that difficult to access pornography. And we have to teach our young people why it is so damaging. The fact that pornography is addictive. The fact that pornography causes your brain to release dopamine, which gives you a rush, which causes you to want more of that, and it becomes this endless cycle. See, the brain is incredible. I love that there is so much to it and that it's such an intricate part of sex, but the brain can also be what gets us into trouble. We have to teach our young people that pornography is not realistic. I was talking on the plane next to a guy, and he was at, on my way down here, actually, because it's always very interesting. People are like, what do you do? I talk about sex. Oh, like this is going to be two hours of just you and me. Great. And, um, and of course, you know, I'm in the window seat. I'm like, please, please. And everyone around me just keeps looking as we're talking about pornography. And he's like, well, what do you think about porn? I said, I hate it. He goes, oh, my parents are pretty conservative too. I said, okay, let's unpack this. You have a five-year-old son. The average age is eight. Are you okay with him looking at porn in three years? Oh, no. Why not? Oh, well, I don't know. And then I realized the more we unpacked this, the less comfortable he was with it when he realized, I don't want my child to look at that and get their perception of sex from pornography, to get their perception of women from pornography. And that's what we have to educate, not just our guys, but our women as well, that pornography is creating an unrealistic expectation of what sexuality is. And it's also creating a standard for women. This guy was telling me, he's 26, he said, I find that women are more aggressive in the bedroom nowadays. I said, I think that's because of porn. Used to be you could take your clothes off and a guy would be like, whoa, she's naked. Now you take your clothes off and the guy's like, mm, I can see it on the computer screen for free. What else you got? And so women are having to compete with pornography in order to keep a guy's attention. And this is an area I would say to you as parents, if this is something you struggle with, 
You need to get it under control now because it will stand in the way of your ability to be a credible witness and voice in your child's life because, again, they will find out. Your son or daughter, they're not stupid. They probably know how to navigate your computer way better than you do. They will find this out. And so if this is something that is an issue in your life or in your marriage, you need to deal with it today because it's, it will be something that will not only affect your relationship but your children's relationships as well down the road. And we have to be talking about this. Every second, $3,000, $3,075 are spent on pornography. And every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is made in the United States. This is not going away, folks. And so we have to equip our young people to be able to deal with it. So when we talk to our teens about all these things, one important aspect is to let them know that they have a choice. See, the world tells them you don't really have a choice, right? Like, you're just going to have sex at some point. It's going to happen. We get to tell them, actually, you do have a choice. You get to decide. Obviously, there are exceptions, such as in the cases of rape. But you get to decide when this happens. And you get to decide why it happens. And so you, as parents, should be talking to your children about the choices and about the possible outcomes. Right? If you make this decision, one possible outcome is you might get pregnant. Um, you might get a sexually transmitted disease. You might form memories with someone that you will later wish you could forget. You might form an attachment to somebody that's not great for you, and you'll make life decisions based on that person. Or, in this other option, you might be able to pursue some things that you want to do. You might be able to learn how to navigate really great, healthy friendships and relationships without sex confusing at all. You're going to be able to build a foundation of trust and respect and commitment, and you're going to set yourself up for the best marriage possible. Be honest about the choices with your kids, and be okay to talk about the choices you made. And again, no one needs details. No one needs to know what you and dad even do now. Never, ever, 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 okay? But don't be afraid to give your kids a choice and let them be empowered to make that choice so that when they are in a situation and they are being pressured, guys or girls, girls are getting aggressive. If you have sons, it's possible that they're going to have girls trying to have sex with them. That they know, hey, I get to make this choice for myself. And why am I making this choice? We need to give our kids a good why and help them learn how to come up with a good why for themselves. Because if they don't know why they're choosing not to have sex, the world will be more than happy to tell them why they should have sex. And there's lots of reasons that the world will tell them. It's fun. It's good for you. It's important to your relationship. But I think we as Christians hold the trump card when it comes to talking about sex. Because we get to talk about the whole person. We get to tell them that, that God designed them to desire sex, but God also desires for them to have to learn how to submit that to him. That God wants them to bring that to him so that he can teach them how to integrate that. That they can learn how to practice now what they will need in the future. I was having lunch with a dear friend today who's actually here, and she made a great point that, you know, you wish you could just shut your sexual desire off till you're 25 and then flip it back on and be like, boom, let's do this thing, after you get married, of course. But the reality is, how else are you going to learn how to practice self-control if you don't have all those years before you get married? Because if you can learn to practice self-control, and this is to you teenagers, if you learn to practice it now while you don't know who that person is, then when you are married and you do know who your husband or wife is, it will be that much easier. It won't be a breeze because we're always going to be faced with temptation. But you are learning right now to practice what you will need in your marriage down the road. Because you don't have sex every day when you're married. Shocking. I found that out when I got married. I was like, what? This doesn't happen all the time? I don't like bat my husband off every moment? He actually wants to like sit down and have a meal and have a conversation. Okay, fine. 
But you have to learn how to say no to other people. You have to learn how to resist what you desire in the moment for what you know is better in the long term. And that's why we have to be teaching our kids about the choices that they have and equipping them to be able to make the best choice possible for their whole body. We also have to talk about guardrails. Now, how many of you grew up hearing about boundaries? Okay, how many of you have heard when in sex talks for your kids the term boundaries? Okay, boundaries are usually terms like, what are your boundaries in your relationship to keep yourself pure? I hate boundaries. Because think about it, are boundaries very positive? If I tell you I'm going to put some boundaries in your life, are you like, yes, I've been waiting for that. You know, I just felt like so free and I needed some boundaries to pull me in and lock me down. No one's ever pumped about boundaries. So I'm thinking we should change it. When you talk to your kids, you're not like, hey, let's talk about boundaries in your relationship. You say, hey, let's talk about guardrails. Now, guardrails, the purpose of a guardrail is what? To keep you from falling off the road, generally down a steep canyon, yes? Okay, or into the ocean or, you know, off the cliff, wherever. No one ever hates on the guardrail. No one's ever driving. They're like, my life would be so much more fun if I didn't have a guardrail there right now. Like, I could just have so much more freedom on this road if that guardrail were out of the way. You'd think that person was insane and should be committed. Okay, because the guardrail tells us, hey, I can go this far and be free, but if I cross that, my risk increases, yes? Sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. That's the exact same thing in relationships, and when we're talking to our young people, it's helping them understand guardrails are meant for them to know, I can go this far, and I'm still free, but once I cross over, my risk is going to begin to increase. Maybe it's a little bit, maybe it's a lot. Maybe one drink increases my risk a little bit, maybe a lot of drinks increase my risk a lot. Right? Maybe, maybe making out with that guy is not a big deal, but if we then go a little bit further, my risk goes up a little bit. And the further we go down and the more clothes come off, the more my risk increases, especially the less I know about him or her. Right? So when we're talking about guardrails, it's helping our young people understand that it's to give them the freedom they need to get where they're trying to go. There was a study done um, where they had kids play in a playground, and one group of kids had a fence around the playground, and the other group of kids did not have a fence around the playground. And do you know which group of kids played more freely? The one with the fence. Because they knew they could run around and they were still safe. The ones without the fence tended to stay clustered in around the toys and the jungle gyms and all that. And that's what our guardrails do for our kids. They tell them, I know how to navigate this relationship. I know how much I can share with you and still be okay. Because I've set guardrails in place. And because I know where I'm trying to go. See, in Alice in Wonderland, she shows up to the Cheshire Cat and she says, can you help me get? And he's like, where are you trying to go? She's like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, then if you don't know, any way will do. And that's the problem. A lot of times our young people are trying to navigate relationships without knowing where they're trying to go. And we have to help them know where are you wanting to go and then how do we get there? How do we put some guardrails in place that will help you accomplish that? The end goal for most would be marriage, yes? When we talk about marriage, we got to be excited. Marriage is amazing. Marriage is like summer camp all the time except when it's not. And then it's sort of like Hell's Kitchen. But when it's like summer camp, it's great. I remember the first year of marriage, I was like, why did no one tell me it's so much fun? Like, you're with your best friend all the time. You're going to go to movies. You're going to hang out. You're going to do brunch. You're just going to be naked if you want. You're going to have sex. Like, you're with your best friend. It's amazing. And then when it was hard, I was like, why did no one tell me how hard this is? But I feel like a lot of times we emphasize the difficulties of marriage. It's a really big responsibility. This is not to be entered into lightly. Agreed. But we miss out on communicating the joy and the excitement and an enthusiasm for marriage. And in today's culture, 
I, our kids need for us to paint a great picture of marriage. Even if your marriage is not the example you would want to set. I would say if you are married right now and your marriage is not the example you want them to follow, then fix it. Work on it. Make it the marriage you want them to have. And if you're divorced or you're a single parent, that doesn't disqualify you again from painting marriage as the best. Because when we put forth God's word, we don't say like, well, only follow the parts that I've managed to do successfully. Because for me, that would be like nothing. Like here, kid, read in the beginning and that's all you get. Thankfully, I get to put out God's standard and say, by grace, I am working towards that, and you get to work towards that too. And sometimes mommy gets it, and sometimes mommy falls flat on her face, but Jesus came so that we could get up and do it again, and to give us the strength we need. And we've got to be excited about marriage. And the danger is that our young people will either idealize it or be incredibly cynical about it. I find a lot of times people approach marriage now as it's all about me. Marriage has to make me happy. Marriage is about how I am doing. Marriage meant to fulfill my needs. It's this, again, we've idolized marriage that it's somehow going to solve all of our problems. And then you get married and you figure out, no, marriage just puts a giant magnifying glass on all of them. It doesn't fix it. It shows you how very selfish and messed up you are as a person. And if you enter into marriage thinking it's going to fix everything and it doesn't, oh, no. But also, if you're so terrified of marriage or you're so pessimistic about marriage that you never want to approach it, you might potentially miss out on something that will be transformative for you. And not everybody gets married. And I think as a church, we have to applaud and encourage and support those who are single in our church. It is not a half status to be single, okay? Paul killed it for the church. He was single, literally. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. Stephen was killed by Paul. But he was single. Jesus was single. Like a, a lot of these guys and women too who did amazing things were single. And we need to encourage the single people in our church, but we should also encourage marriage and speak positively about it. And we need to teach our young people why marriage between one man and one woman is going to always be the best scenario for the two people involved and also for the children involved. And we're in a culture right now that is working very hard to tell them the opposite. And it's possible I may go to jail someday for saying that, and I'm okay with that. But we have to be the ones to set the example in our home. If we want to begin to change culture, it starts around the dinner table. It starts just in the conversations you have, and you educate them, and you give them things to think about. And they might look at you like, hmm, who cares? But I guarantee that everything you are saying, they are listening to, and they will think about, and they will choose whether to accept it or reject it. But they are listening. And it may be years down the road that they come back to you and say, you were right. And you can just videotape it and YouTube it and Instagram that moment, okay? But don't think that the things you say are not going to have an impact. And we have to trust that when we speak truth, that God will use that truth in our child's life at some point. So I'm going to kind of end these last few slides with how we talk about it. This is going to be the foundation to everything you say. I don't care if you don't know enough about STDs. I don't care if you totally flub their question about masturbation. I don't care if you, you know, are still struggling yourself with issues because we all will forever. Unconditional love is what your kids need to see and hear. You, th you know you love your kids unconditionally, right? Your kids don't always know that. And, I mean, they like intellectually know it, but they don't always know it on a real heart level. You're like, well, I told them I love them. Yeah, but do you remember being a teenager? It's kind of the worst. It gets better, okay? No one I know is like, I wish I could be 16 again. No, okay? You think 16 is great, and then you turn 18. You think 18 is great, and then you turn 22. And every year in my life has been the best year I've ever lived, even the hard ones. 
right? But what will help your kids and what will ground this conversation is if they know that no matter what I say to mom and dad, no matter what I do, they will still love me. There is no question I can say that will shock them. There is nothing I can tell them that I have done that will make me get kicked out of this house. That doesn't mean you don't get to be angry. You can be angry about certain things. Absolutely, right? But our kids need to know mom and dad love me because the basis of the trust and honesty that you are hoping to cultivate in your relationship and in your communication with your kids about these topics is going to require that they know I really can share anything and they love me. And that is communicated through the things that we say, but also through the way we treat them and the things that we do with them. And a lot of you are probably doing great. And maybe some of you are thinking, oh, I could work on this. I feel like I can always work on this. In order to show that my love is not conditional to my child, that her performance does not determine whether or not I am proud of her or proud to call her my daughter. But this has to be the basis to everything else that we talk about and the way we talk about it. You also have to believe what you're saying and you have to live what you are asking your kids to live. So in the beginning I said, you know, a lot of times we don't believe that it's possible for young people to make it to marriage. So first you have to reconcile that in your own heart. But then, excuse me, I find a lot of times we're asking this sort of like, do what I say, not what I do. So maybe you're a single parent and you're asking your teenager to live a certain lifestyle that you yourself do not live with the boyfriends or the girlfriends that you bring home. Or we're asking our young people to begin to practice um, a higher standard mentally and emotionally, but we still look at pornography. Or we're asking our young people to be in relationships where they treat the other person with respect, and we treat people of the other sex with disrespect. We objectify them. We speak down to them. So considering the way that you live and the example you set will speak volumes to how your kids will then live it out themselves. 58% um, of teenagers say that mom and dad are the greatest example when it comes to the relationships that they want to model. So are you modeling a relationship that is worth modeling? And do you believe what you were telling your kids and the, the standard that we are calling them to? See, I believe every teenager is capable of doing amazing things. I think we are looking at a generation that is talented, that is passionate, that has the potential to go and make some huge changes because when they lock in on something they lock in and they go at it and we need to be able to equip them and help them to do that and lock in on the right thing but it requires first that we believe that they are capable of that and that we believe that they can actually go choose the better choice even if the rest of the world is telling them not because I also find that if you don't believe your kid is capable of that you're not confident in your parenting means you don't think you've parented them well enough to be able to walk out the door and make the good call. They might go make a terrible decision. That's not on you. Are you confident that you've equipped them with all that they need that if they choose to make the better decision that they can? But because you have the unconditional love, they can come back to you. See how it's all connected? That's great. That's really just wonderful. Okay. How we talk about it. We should probably start being excited. Because when we talk about not having sex, it usually looks a little bit like this. Or as this country singer put it, I love this quote, life in Lubbock, Texas taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell. The other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth and you should save it for someone you love. And that's about right, yeah? I thought it was fitting that it was Lubbock, Texas, but it's nothing against Texas, okay? I just, I find a lot of times when we talk about sex, and, and that was my thing at the beginning, that we, I don't believe in using shame or fear or guilt to keep people from being sexually active. It's like, this is terrible. It's the worst sin you'll ever commit. And then you get married, it's going to be rainbows and unicorns, and it's just going to be, like, magical. Okay, four days before I got married, I called my dad in a panic. 
So it's like, oh my gosh, I have to have sex. Like, I can't say no anymore. It's my wifely duty to have sex. I've been able to use the marriage thing as like, no, thank you, we're not married. Oh, we're now married. Now what do I do? And I realized that, yes, even though by all intents and purposes, I looked like what parents would want. We're like, oh, that girl made it till she got married. I didn't have the right thinking about sex. See, I don't think it's good if our young people wait till they're married and they're terrified of sex or they think that sex is shameful or dirty or wrong or gross because that is going to play into the kind of marriage they have. And we're seeing young people in the church who get married and they're disillusioned and they're disappointed. Sex requires work and you, know, you have to kind of figure some things out. But what we need to teach our young people about is how to be excited for sex, how to be pumped about the best sex possible in the right context. Like Martin Luther, I have a dream. Only my dream is that we will see generations of people waiting out of expectation for how great sex will be instead of out of fear for what they will get. That's what I want for your teenagers, and that's what you should want. Now, the rub is that when we encourage our young people to learn how to embrace sexuality and hold it in that tension, it's possible sometimes they're going to trip up a little bit. Because actually it's easier just to shut it all down and then wait and then you get married and you're like, I'm ready. But the reality is now you're trying to unpack 20-something years of wrong thinking. And you start looking at God like, God, you hate sex. God, you formed him with hormones. This is the worst. Instead, let's try to equip our young people to be like, how do you embrace sexuality? How do you embrace the fact that you are a sexual being? God placed in you a desire for sex. The desire is not bad. Sometimes it's what you do with it that will get you into trouble. Because again, if we don't teach them to learn how to practice that self-control and hold that tension now, they will someday get married. And it's not like, oh, job's done. No, you still have to practice. There's no waiting until marriage. You spend your whole life practicing how to live out a marriage or sexuality script that is different than the world. As Christians, purity is not something you do until you get married and then you're like, go crazy. No, you still have to practice that. You're not allowed to get married and then sleep with other people. It's not how it works. And so we need to be excited about waiting and help our kids get excited about what they're looking forward to instead of just afraid of, oh my gosh, I might, you know, go to hell or something. It's like, well, you're going to go to hell anyway until you encounter Jesus. So sex isn't going to be the thing that sends you there. It's your sinful nature. So see, that was easy. Done. But start to be pumped. Reframe the conversation. And we should be the ones. It will throw your kids for a loop if you're like, hey, I'm excited for you to have sex. This morning when I came to the students, I said, guys, I want you to have the best sex possible. You could see everyone kind of go, what? A few boys cheered. I was like, and it's not going to be when you're 16. What? I was like, guaranteed. It's not going to happen when you're 16. Because it requires the whole person in a context. All these things we've talked about. See, there's a way to talk about this that doesn't lead you down this road of like, I guess they're just going to go run out and have it. No. But we have to talk about this whole picture and the whole person, and we get to be excited about how wonderful sex will be. It will require work. It will ebb and flow. But it does that whether you have sex outside of marriage or not. Everyone who has sex before marriage doesn't have a better sex life. That's it. And we miss that a lot of times. We feel like we have to apologize no, you might get married and it might, it'll still be work. I guarantee it will still be work. No one walks into marriage like a sex champ, okay? That's a weird thought, but anyway, you can, you can come up with your own superhero, what a sex champ looks like, okay? So we have, to, we have to be realistic in our expectations, but we need to start being excited. Here's the thing. This is where it should relieve a whole lot of pressure for you guys. This is not a monologue. You do not have to go home this weekend and give a three-hour prepared speech with PowerPoint slides. In fact, please don't. Definitely don't do that. Don't use Barbie dolls. Don't use sock puppets. 
Um, this is meant to be a back and forth. And the way that that works is you ask a question and then they answer. It's like a real conversation, almost. It's amazing. Sometimes they won't answer. That's okay. You just put the question out. And then sometimes they might ask a question. See, teenagers want to be treated like adults. And sometimes they get to be treated like adults. And sometimes they still have to be treated like children because they're still growing up. But in this area, I think it's important that we treat them with the respect they deserve in terms of that back and forth dialogue. You would not want a three-hour presentation. That's why I'm only doing an hour and a half, 45 minutes-ish, okay? Do the same thing with your kids. That takes it up. You don't have to have one big sex talk. That is no longer the case. You get to have lots of little sex chats. You get to use the circumstances around you. Right? The, the fact that someone had a baby, if your kids are younger, to be like, do you know how someone gets pregnant? Um, d d what you see on TV, uh, what you read, a lyric you hear, what do you think of that? Do you think that's appropriate? When would you want to do that? And just have a conversation without necessarily having a whole lot of judgment statements that follow it. Just have a conversation, okay? And when your kids start to open up, you just have a little back and forth. Now, the key here when they start to ask questions, they start to talk, especially I find this with younger kids, we have a tendency to want to overshare as parents. And by oversharing, I mean your kid asks you, you know, maybe they're, I don't know, let's say they're 10 years old and they come home and they're like, mom, what's, what's a blowjob? And you're like, all right, I've been ready. I'm waiting for this day. Here we go. <laughs> and then you proceed for 25 minutes to explain things in such graphic detail that they're like, ah, what? <laughs> Instead, let's start with, where did you hear that? What's the context? And answering, especially with our kids that are younger, only as much as they need to know. We sometimes think, like, I'm never going to get to talk to you about sex. This is my one shot, and I'm going to be great at it. And then you give them everything, and they're like, well, I'm done. You just drop the mic. You're like, I'm out. And the kid's going, I, I lost you at, like, 37 seconds, okay? So as we're having this dialogue, multiple chats means you get multiple opportunities to share a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It also means if you totally botch it one time, because that's going to happen, just, just accept that right now, you get another chance to say it again, to say it a different way, to go back even and say, I, you know, I did not communicate that well. Can I try this again? All right? Now let's say your kids actually start opening up. That's the other thing. You're like, oh, it's great. My kids started talking. Oh, my gosh, my kids started talking. I did not need to hear that. I did not want to know those questions. you got to play it cool. So I'll be like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, the questions I get sometimes, I go home and I'm like, honey, you would not believe what I got asked today. Nowadays, he's like, yeah, I would actually. You got asked. But I get asked about anal sex all the time. I get asked about weird, kinky things. Like somebody was like, what if I use nerds while I'm having... I was like, what are you talking about? I don't need to know your candy habits, Okay. Um, you know, sometimes they're very, like, normal, like, does it hurt the first time? You don't get to freak out. I'm sorry, because you got one shot in how you react to your kids. If the first time your kid, and, and especially if you have kids that go to the school, I told them to come ask you questions. But if your kid comes to you after you've said, you know, I want to talk about this, I want to have an open dialogue, you know, you're thinking, I've prepped this, and then they come to you, and they're like, all right, let's try this, mom and dad, and they'll throw you a real zinger. And if your first reaction is, <gasps> what just came out of your mouth? You know what your kid's going to do? Yeah, that's what I thought. We're not talking about this. Instead, you have your heart attack on the inside. And on the outside, you just go, you know, that's a really good question. You should go ask your father. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. 
But instead you say, okay, you know, let's unpack this. And what you're showing to your child is, yes, when I say I can handle any question, I mean I can handle any question. And I want to talk about it. Later in the bedroom, you can be like, um, what is happening out there in the world? We're taking our kids to the Himalayas and that's it, okay? But when your kids start talking to you and they start opening up and they start sharing about friends, or they, my favorite is like, I have this friend, mm-hmm. And they were wondering, mm-hmm, about this. You just play cool, right? Because what you're communicating to your child is, yes, I am a safe place for you to talk to. Because if you are not that safe place, they'll go to someone else who again, will not love your child the way you do. Even if it's somebody else's parent, you can't always trust everybody else's parent, but you can buy them a copy of my book and then you can all be on the same page. See how I did that? And then finally, prepare to be amazed. Prepare to be amazed at the questions that your kids will have and the things that they will say and the things that they have already picked up on that you'll realize, wow, my kid is on it. You're gonna be so proud of your kids when you realize how much thinking they're already doing or how many times they've already had to stand up and be different, you have amazing teenagers in your home. I guarantee, I love working with teenagers because they never cease to surprise me and amaze me. And so in these conversations with your kids, prepare to be amazed by the things that they will say and the opportunities that will come from this. Some of the best conversations you have with your kids will probably center around relationships and dating and sexuality because it's an opportunity to speak truth into them, to affirm them, and to remind them of the value that they have because God has made them to be a unique individual. And you're gonna get to see that unfold as you have these conversations. So on that note, that's my contact information. Um, the way I like to usually wrap things up is I like to open it for questions because I know we cover a lot of ground and we have 15 minutes. We told childcare that we would be done at 8.30. Also, I'm not shameless, uh, shameful about this, shameless plug. I do have a book with a really awesome cover. Everyone who reads this travels with it like this. <laughs> and that's fine, I'm cool with that, that's okay. But what I covered tonight is in here and a lot more. Um, statistics are in here, there's questions for you to work through in order to know how to better chat about this with your kids, how to get on the same page with your partner, with your child's parent, with your spouse. Um, and I would encourage you, it's not meant to be the end all book because there are a lot of really good books out there and resources that I put in here. I saved you time, you didn't have to go read all the bad ones. But it's meant to be a starting point for you. And um, if you could handle tonight, then you'll be able to handle the sass and the humor in here as well. You just have my voice playing while you read this, all right? Um, but they're $13. They're out there. I would really love to take none back to California with me. So Valentine's Day is coming up. It's a great opportunity to give that to the parents <laughs> of the boyfriend or girlfriend that your child has. I mean, you all want to be on the same page when it comes to this. So to that end, um, I would like to open it up if there are any questions. I mean, if not, you all can go home early, and that's great too. And praise Jesus, I've had no sickness this whole time. I asked until 9 o'clock, and I'll probably go throw up. Any questions? Any questions? No? No? I get to go home? Just kidding. Oh, you don't want to ask the question. I should do it like I do it with teenagers. Everyone writes it on a card, and then they turn it in, but I don't have any cards. So everyone get out their cell phone, and you could text me. You know how that works, right? Just kidding. I would totally give you my cell number. Well, how about this? I'm going to wrap it up, but then you can just come up and ask me questions. Yes. Yes. Right?
So the question was, with your kids having social media, and it's inevitable, it's not going away, and there's that no man's land of, okay, if I allow you to have a Twitter account, I'm allowing you to be exposed to whatever you may find, including pornography. And the reality is, if you allow your kids to breathe, they're going to be exposed to it. They can get on the computer, they can find it from a friend, like, it's not that difficult. I have found, I mean, on the practical end, there are programs you can put on your computer, you know, that, that are meant to block certain sites. Um, I think it's equipping our kids to know what to do to deal with that and to understand that there's going to be temptation, absolutely. Um, but let's talk through reasons why not to click on that link. Uh, or if you do end up looking at something, I want you to come tell me and let's talk about it, right? You're going to be like, oh, you want to talk about the porn that I looked at? Yeah, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about how it made you feel because we're going to talk about how you felt that rush and why did you feel that rush? Because your body is desired or designed to desire a person, but that is creating desire in the wrong context. Um, we're going to talk about how do you learn those red flags of people that are not healthy to follow. And depending on where your kid's at with social media, I think it's okay to say, and I want to be a part of knowing, like, okay, you're on Twitter. I, I want to know who you're following. So that means, again, you might have to get a Twitter account, and you follow your kid, and you figure out how you read their tweets with all the little at signs and the hashtags. I sometimes use hashtags when I'm talking to my mom. She's like, what are you saying? I was like, hashtag, don't worry about it. She's like, oh, that's not English. I was like, yes, it is, LOL. So she thought that was lots of love for a while. But um, so I, I, think, I think, again, it's this conversation, and it's, it's just being very open about it and being very frank. Like, you're going to run across this. And your kid might go, yeah, I know, I already have. <sighs> and, and not be afraid of that. Um, and just tell our kids, like, look, I... I believe in you. I know you're capable of making the best choices for you, and here's why I think for these reasons this isn't good. Um, but again, it's ultimately up to you. And, and then you pray hard. In all of this, you pray hard as a parent. That's what I've realized. Marriage taught me how selfish I was. Parenting has taught me how helpless I am. Next question. Yes. So dating mm -hmm. is so different now. Dating? Nobody does dating. It, it's intense. <laughs> it's like, you know. You <coughs> they hook up. So the question was, how do we teach our teenagers to date in healthy ways? Because dating is so different now than when most of you were growing up. Um, and I've seen dating change drastically in the 10 years since I've been out of high school. In the sense that there is no dating, right? People just kind of hook up. Um, and hook up can mean anything, by the way, from making out to having sex. My grandma was like, I just used to hook up with guys. Nah, not in the way I think people do it now, grandma. Thank you. <laughs> and I unpack this more in my book. There's a whole chapter on it. But I, I think, again, it's a conversation. All this comes back to a conversation with your kid. Um, and I think it's a, it's a back and forth in terms of those guardrails um, to say, what do you think? Like, let's unpack, like, what is it that you want out of life? What kind of relationships do you want to have? What kind, you know, do you want to get married someday? What kind of a marriage do you want? Okay, let's move backwards. What kind of a relationship then do you think you should be in to get to that? Okay, well, what are some of the things that we look for then in somebody to recognize whether or not those are good things? What are some guardrails you want to put in place, and why would we put those guardrails in? Because I found when teenagers own it, when they say, I'm doing this, one, they tend to be more strict on themselves than you would normally think. 
Um, like if you were to say, what do you think the punishment should be if you break this? Their punishment might actually be more strict than you would have given them. But then they're more inclined to say, okay, this is why I'm doing this. Mom and dad didn't just tell me, well, you can't date till you're 16 or you can't date um, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one setting, but I know why I'm choosing not to date in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Or I know if I do date in a one-on-one -on -one setting, why they want me home at 10 o'clock because we agreed on that together because I want a relationship that is honest and built on respect and, I, you know, and then because I want a marriage. And so I think having those conversations with kids helped them understand. It's not that kids don't want to date. They just don't have a model for it anymore. No one's doing it. They don't, they don't understand when you say you should go on a date. They're like, well, what does that mean? Like we go to a movie and then we hook up in the car. And you're like, actually, let me talk to you. Once upon a time, that's not how it was. He took you to dinner and that did not mean you had to put out. You were not a cheap prostitute. I mean, essentially, that's what's happening. But anyway, I digress. So I think it's helping them understand and unpack. And then express yourself to say, this is what I think would be best for you. I think it's better for you to wait to date until you are this age for these reasons. What do you think? And let, let them have that back and forth with you. If you're having this conversation with your 14-year-old, they're a little young to be dating anyway, so they're probably not going to get it. A conversation with your 16-year-old, yeah. I mean, my dad, remember, he came to me at 16. He's like, you can date. I was like, I can what? He's like, you can date. I was like, what does that even mean? He's like, it means a guy asked you out. Oh, that's never happening. He's like, it's okay, someday. But I think we have to teach our kids what good dating looks like, but also respect their input. And when they begin to see, oh, this is why we did it a certain way, I find kids actually want to go back to dating the way it used to be. There's something very cool about it. They're like, I could like get dressed up and go out and have an evening without this pressure of having to then perform all these things. But they don't think, again, that they have that choice. And so we have to teach them, you have that choice. You might have to be a little picky. I mean, you might not date for a while, but you have that choice. Other questions? Okay. Thank you all so much. This was really fun for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be here um, as long as the nausea doesn't lay me out on the floor. And I would love to answer any questions. Again, my book is in the back. Uh, buy a copy, buy two. And um, you're welcome to contact me through my website. I take questions all the time. It stays confidential. I'm not going to post that you asked me this. Um, and I'm not going to tweet your child that, like, you will not believe what your parents don't know. It stays between us. Don't worry about it. So thank you so much and have a great night.